This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Grace Brothers Film Productions, who brought you such beloved blockbusters as Coneheads the Movie, Sex in the City 2, and The Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. From the small screen to the silver screen, and back to the small screen. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! Hey, I'm Jeff. And I'm Brandon, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about... Are you being served? Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Brandon. Hello, Unanimous. Ah, well, we have a very special episode of the podcast, don't we? Um, what are we going to be talking about, and what? why is this different today? So tonight is different from all other nights, because we are talking about Are You Being Served? The movie. <gasps> they did a movie? I didn't know that. They did a movie, and there's probably a very good reason you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> there's a really good reason. Probably no one else should know that either. But we're going to cover it, won't we? We're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, the movie is available on Amazon Prime Video. I think it's also available on iTunes. I'm sure there are plenty other platforms uh, in your country or get very creative. I think you could probably even still buy a DVD of it. Um, Why not? On Amazon or somewhere. If you seven ninety nine on on Prime if you buy it. You get to buy it. Most most things you can only rent for seven ninety nine. You can only rent. You yeah. get to own this, ladies and gentlemen, unanimous. It's well, that own, own, good. own the digital rates too. Yes. Right? Yes indeed. Yeah. Um maybe if you your town still has a um rental place. Um, go, you know, hunting in the back. You never know. It might be in the bargain bin. Check for signs of life at the front first. You know, good to do these <laughs> yeah. things. So we've been hearing some lovely people um, give us some accolades, have we not, Mr. Jeff? That's right, Mr. Brandon. We have. We have indeed. We have indeed. indeed. Oh, doing. yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we want to welcome Susan and Charlie and Tilt and Kat and Laura and Roy and Rocio and Lisa to the Facebook page on the group. Thank you for joining us. You've all done very um, well. And I think Susan... You've all done very well. Susan was a fan. Uh, I think she came from Twitter. So welcome the Twitter people. And speaking of Twitter, we had some... Speaking of Twitter... Yeah. Um, we, got, we got a retweet, as the kids say. We the got kids. a follow back. Um, yes. We, so we, had, more... we had a very um, high level, very excruciatingly uh, detailed... Um, taste test, didn't we, Mr. Jeff? <laughs> we we sacrificed our waistlines for you, dear listeners. We had every ice cream we could ever imagine that had some slight reference to Are You Being Served? And there was a clear winner, wasn't there, Mr. Jeff? Our favorite, Humphrey Slocum. There was no there was no question, really. <laughs> um, so we made a we made a lovely graphic. We posted it on our Twitter pa- our Twitter page screen list i should do twitter more often i'm learning um anyway so it was lovely that we got a retweet from uh maybe maybe sean and jake themselves who knows but anyway thanks to uh the folks at humphrey slocum so if you are in the bay area um last week last uh or anywhere on the west coast yeah hey grab some uh we our last episode where we discussed um God, what was the topic of that one? It's funny I slept a couple of uh, times. It pays to advertise. It pays to advertise. Uh, we, we talked about um, the desserts and things. We talked about Humphrey Slocum. And, anyway, it's a lovely little uh, marriage between the podcast and the ice cream company. So thank you very much. Yes, please, everyone, after you finish eating your ice cream, wash your hands and put <laughs> your mask back on. And always, Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Yes, and they've all done very well as well. So, Mr. Hum- uh, Mr. Humphreys. Freudian slip. <laughs> Mr. Jeff, <laughs> um, tell us about this crazy film. When was this released? What's going on? Okay, so season five ended in April of 77, and this movie premiered on July 31st, 1977. And that month in the news, um, Led Zeppelin played its last concert in the U.S., um, actually in Oakland. 
uh, and I believe a riot or some kind of big fight broke out. If they had Humphrey Slicum ice cream in 1977, maybe there would have been no riot. Everyone. I that's completely true. am that's unanimous true. in that. That month, that summer was also the New York City blackout, um, which caused Yikes. a lot of problems because the people were already on edge because it was also the summer of the Son of Sam murders. Um, so, really? yeah, so there was a lot going on that summer. Um, there was also a worldwide boycott over Nestle products due to their uh, aggressive marketing of breast milk alternatives. So people were already what? boycotting orange juice because of the new Bryant. And now they're Rightly boycotting so. Nestle products because of the way that they were marketing like, oh, our product is better than breast milk. Um, oh, so, boy. Yeah. That's a debate. Okay, well... So that's the climate that we were that we were in. So it was a weird, crazy month. So I want to make sure I understand just from the chronology of things. So yeah. season five, that was 1977. When, would, when did the last air, episode air? It pays to advertise. April 1977. Okay. So April. So then this movie came out on the 31st of July later that year. So a, couple, a handful of months. Right. So do you think that Mr. Granger's last scene was in the movie or in the TV show? Did we discuss that? Probably in the movie, right? Because I'm guessing that they filmed the movie shortly after filming season five. That makes sense. And they went to go film... I'm assuming what happens is they went to go film season six in the spring of 78. And then Arthur Bra's um, wife passed away. And so I'm sure he took some time off after that. And he passed away, like, I think within six weeks of her. Wow. And so they delayed uh, filming of season six until the autumn. And so season six didn't premiere until autumn of 1978. Okay. So, again, in case you didn't listen to It Pays to Advertise or Goodbye, Mr. Granger, I think where we mentioned that a listener, you know, said, this is, hey, where are you going to address, you know, the, the leaving of Mr. Granger? Sadly, he passed away. And... Um, you know, this is, we wanted to do the the film here uh, in the in the sequence of the podcast episodes because this is where we officially say goodbye to Mr. Granger. It's very sad. Yeah, it is sad. Um, uh, we, we did mention two episodes ago that superfan Gregory had posited that he likes to imagine that Mr. Granger stayed behind in Costa Planca. And so there he remains living happily ever after. So. Oh, I love that. That's we'll, very nice. We'll just go with that. Yeah. So the movie has all of our favorites. Uh, it has the entire main staff. It has Mr. Harmon. It has young Mr. Grace and his secretary because he didn't know, have right? a full-time nurse yet. Um, <laughs> and then we've got three guest stars that also are main characters in uh, this film. So the first is Karen David, who played uh, Conchita, the, um, the, the waitress, the bellhop girl, etc., uh, she was known from some 70s TV shows as the Lotus Eaters and the Angels. And she, looking back at her um, at her uh, acting credits, she tended to play a lot of ethnic characters, not mm, yeah. only not only Hispanic or Latina, but also South Asian. Oh, interesting. She, I guess she had that kind of look that was considered to be adaptable. Because the, she had uh, dark hair, 70s. basically. Because <laughs> <laughs> she had dark hair and like somewhat olive skin. Like, oh, yeah. you could play anyone who's not English. Right? So. <laughs> it's 1977. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, and, then <laughs> some two, and then two really big names, actually, in uh, English entertainment at the time. Uh, Glenn Houston, who played uh, Cesar Rodriguez, the, the villain, the bad guy. Uh, he was from the long-running show Keep It in the Family, which is what inspired Too Close for Comfort. You know, the hmm. one with Ted Knight, who's a cartoonist in San Francisco, and Jim J. Bullock. Does uh, that ring a bell? Yeah, I'm afraid not, but I'm sure it's a yeah. great show. Yeah, it was it was a B-list family comedy that ran in the mid-'80s. Okay, I've probably thing. seen it, just didn't know the name. Yeah. Um, so he played the cartoonist agent uh, role in, in, in Keep It in the Family. Okay. Um, and then we also had Andrew Sachs, who played Don Carlos, who was the head of the hotel, uh, and he's best known for playing Manuel on Faulty Towers. I knew he looked familiar. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, Glenn Houston, Karen David, Andrew Sachs, not a lot of Spanish-sounding names in, in this list of people. No, no, not, <laughs> not whatsoever. Like, well, they didn't even film their uh, anything in Spain, right? This was all right. on a soundstage in, like, 
somewhere in like suburban home counties. Yeah. Right? So anyway, so uh, we alluded earlier that there's probably a reason why many people don't know about the movie. And that's because um, it sucks. <laughs> I didn't know uh, when we were going to go there, but let's go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's mostly recycled jokes from the first five seasons, right? So, yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about seeing the greatest hits and seeing a, a, a main character do a catchphrase, but for them to do like entire bits, it's kind of disappointing, but that's, I think that's par for the course when you're talking about, uh, a TV show that gets remade into a movie. Like I think about the absolutely fabulous movie there were like two scenes I remember that were basically rehashed bits from yeah, yeah, the yeah. TV series, and it's like, ugh, all we just needed is the catchphrase. We only we only <laughs> needed the punchline. Yes, we didn't need them to recreate this whole thing, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky thing about this whole idea of you know, and and, and I'm also sensitive to the, the fact that Mr. Jeff and I, uh, we yammer on at you all, and you listen to us, and we have ideas and opinions about things, and. One thing that I don't want the show to be is someone where we know we're, we know everything, we know it alls, and we have nothing but, com- but but suggestions to make the show better. I think what really comes through, hopefully, is that Mr. Jeff and I love Are You Being Served, and we really love this niche little group of this community of people that like the show. That's kind of Absolutely. weird. No one else understands it. Like. I've shown this to my family. They don't understand, like, what the hell this podcast <laughs> is about, you know. But um, the thing is, the TV show, we all love it. We don't have to explain why we love it because we all love it because we do. Because we have this podcast. We have this little community going, which is great. The movie, though, uh, I'm glad I saw it. Um, it's kind of cool to see people in – I don't know. It just takes them out of their element. You can kind of see yeah, the characters a little a bit, bit of fish out of water. Fish yeah. out of water. Good point. But I also wondered like kind of like our official sponsor today, Grace Brothers Film Productions, um, is it just a matter of making a quick buck for people? Because if you think in the 70s, the small screen, um, the TV screen was nothing. Like no one really wanted to do TV. You really made the money and your career could tra- take off if you did film. In fact, I think that's uh, Trevor Bannister later leaves the series because he thought he could become a film star, you know, jumping yeah. off. It was like a jumping well, off point, right? He, yeah, he, he had a role in a film and the production schedule clashed and um, Croft wouldn't change it. And he's so like, he OK, clear, clear choice. Yeah. So in, in all in all fairness to the show, you know, I will say this, right? Um, before they ventured out into making the film they had the stage version that they did Summers in Blackpool, right? right? And that was a huge success. And I think one of the reasons why you and I both found this, you know, the movie to be a little subpar and other members of the Unanimous unanimous have as well, Mm. is that there's no laugh track, right? We're so used to hearing the audience burst out in laughter whenever Mr. Humphreys comes out of the lift in a costume. <laughs> no, you're very right. Or Mrs. Slocum makes a pussy joke that we don't have that auditory cue to be like, this is a funny thing you should laugh here. And so when, if it, if it wasn't a hit in Blackpool on stage, if the audience wasn't laughing and coming back to see it, they never would have made a movie. And I'm sure, I would bet that the audiences that saw it live in a theater with other people, they were laughing as well. Yeah. Right? And so that, like, led to, like, the overall perception of it. I'm wondering, now that we're in quarantine times, that people are watching comedies, first-run comedy movies at home, if they're walking away with that satisfaction of hilarity because they don't have their fellow audience members to prompt them into laughing that's a very good point and, and it makes me think and it kind of it's good good to have some time to discuss this because watching the movie it felt voyeuristic almost it did you know it, did because- it was like you know it's a special it's a special community thing when you hear the live studio audience it's not even a laugh track it's a live it's a live group audience, of people yeah. laughing and reacting to the live people you know 30 feet away from them and then 
when you're laughing at home 50 years later, you're, you somehow are still part of that. With the film, there's no laugh track. There's some strange, like, groovy, funky, like, instrumental music, which tries to, like, cover up the lack of that in a way. But I think you're right. I, it's, it's something I didn't even realize until you just said it, that it felt voyeuristic because it's almost like going to Disney World and see the person dressed up as Mickey Mouse without his head on. And you're like, I shouldn't be seeing this. I, I right. It's cool, but I shouldn't be. Yeah. So it, the la- lack of a laugh track is weird. And also, I think these days, as I was alluding to before, the small screen versus the movie big screen, it's really reversed. Back then, the small screen, people thought it was a launching pad to get a career in movies. Now, movies are kind of dead. I mean, this is even before the COVID. Around, yeah. Now, it's like the, the crown, get on Netflix, blah, blah, blah. So it's just kind of a weird thing these days all these years later. I think, I think voyeuristic is a really good word for it because not only do we not have our fellow audience members laughing along with us, yeah. uh, whether they're seated next to us or we're, you know, hearing the ones that were watching it live 50 years ago, but the actors also didn't take a beat to allow for laughter. Right. Oh it's, yeah. That's a good point. It's, you know, one of the reasons why Captain Peacock's lines are usually so funny <laughs> is because he's so deadpan about them. And he waits right? like one and he, a half he seconds. Is, he is the quintessential straight man. Yep. Right? That he, but he'll deliver his lines so deadpan. He The character doesn't even know that there's funny and you end up <laughs> nothing. But he allows the beat. He allows the joke to breathe. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in this, there was no there was no room for that. Like you could have at least, I feel like the, I feel like a modern filmmaker would have at least d- done like an alternate shot to allow the characters to kind of exchange like a glance, like a weird like ha huh? yeah. with the furrowed eyebrows, to give the audience a, a, a beat to laugh. And there was n- almost none of that here, which I think led to the oddity of it. So I think the, I think the point I'm trying to make is. It's canon. It's material of are you being served, and it's all of the staff. But is it though? Because because when they come back season six, for you know they're doing Mister Granger's retirement party because that's the official way he was written out of the show. He retired, and Mister Thames is coming. Thames is coming back on. They don't talk about going on their holidays ever again. No, you're right, right. but I I also think... So so I don't think it's really canon. No, you're right. It's not canon in that regard, but I think... Maybe not canon, but if you're such a big fan, like the people... I mean, Christ, if if you subscribe to an Are You Being Served podcast, (laughs) you're probably (laughs) a damn big... um, Not fool, but a a damn big fan. Um, Maybe a fool as well, who knows? But, um, you know, I think if you really, really like the show, you do get some... Stuff you don't see else elsewhere. You don't ever see Mr. Humphreys under his hairdryer getting his mother's his mother's wig, wig set. set. <laughs> I mean, that's great. You never see the are you the the uh, Grace Brothers hair boutique. Like you see that in this movie. Um, it's I don't know. Like if you're just starved for more content, which is easy to do in a show that only has what seventy episodes, sixty eight yeah. maybe. Do it. And, you know, you can at least say you've seen it. And then I think, honestly, I watched the movie last night and then I watched um, The Takeover after it. And Uh, it really does make you appreciate the live TV show. show. Because it's live. You can tell there's a freshness about it. You have that live audience reaction. And then, you know, a movie should be slicker, you know, because it's going to be, you know, 50 feet wide in a cinema. Um it just wasn't the right medium for it, I think. And I'm, yeah. I think it makes me feel more lucky to see the TV show live, as it were. Well, we've also got Beans of Boston and Are You Being Served Australia to get to, so... We'll get there. We'll get there, <laughs> yeah. Quarantine's so, not going anywhere. So the whole scope, uh, the, the whole premise of the movie is that the store has to close two weeks for redecoration. And instead of what they did for Shoulder to Shoulder is they're sending everyone on package holiday tours uh, at the same time. And they're, they're paying for, I think they're playing for the pain ticket and like giving them cheap accommodations, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, we learned that Tittles is going to be boarding at the Pussy Hotel in the pet department. So someone's going to be staying behind to take care of the pets 
while the store is being redecorated. So not everybody that poor gets, person. To go, <laughs> gets to go off to Gozo or Costa Blanca. Yeah. Um, and I learned a new British word, Moggy, which is the feline equivalent of a mutt. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. There we go. I didn't know that, Monkey. right? Um, Madame Beryl's Continental Beauty Salon has been replaced with the Grace Brothers Unisex Hairdressing Salon. Um, and we see that its proprietor is Mr. Henry, the hairdresser, who is played by the same actor who was Mr. Crawford from the last episode, the director. Who is oh, also yeah. the one, the one with the 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 pure velour? I'm pure rich. Cashmere. I live alone. Would you like to come into my flat, my flat for a drink? So I feel like this actor is um, how you say typecast. <laughs> yes, yes. I, do you know the actor's name? Uh, Raymond Cowles. Top of his head, like ladies and gentlemen. This just encyclopedic knowledge just keeps giving I, and giving. Uh, I could be I could be very wrong about that. I want to say the first name is Raymond, but um, on the floor, Mr. Harmon is is wheeling out a center display unit. So we get a, a you know a a, a a stable joke um, that we're that we're comfortable with, and it's for the Life Bell inflatable swimsuit, right? Oh the, my God. the two the two, the two cups of the brazier inflate so that you could stay buoyant if you're not a good swimmer. This will come in handy later. We yes, will, it will learn. Once we get to the conflict of the movie. Before we get there, though, I do want to point out, because it's so rare in this this era, at the very beginning scene, when you see young Mr. Grace, who I'm so glad is in the movie, first of all, um, he's getting his hair cut. And you see um, the beauty salon guy, the hairdresser, um, speak to Mr. Humphreys in a very familiar way. Yes, they call each other love and dear. Dear. Which is not which is not necessarily romantic, right? Like in right. in Britain and Ireland, love is um It's northern, it's colloquial. It's a, yeah, it's 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 evocative term that is not necessarily romantic. And do you know why that is? <gasps> oh, is this a challenge? Uh it could be a challenge. Do I but... know why people call each other love? Yes. Ooh, um, no, I, I guess I don't. What is it? So in, in Irish and in uh, Scots and all of those Gaelic-based yeah, yeah. languages, the word, one of the declensions of the word you is pronounced love. Whoa, that's interesting. In, in Irish, it's spelled L-E-I-B-H, but it's pronounced just like the English word love. So, so what does that mean? Like a, a version of the word "you," yeah, is pronounced "love." Do you know what version that is? I don't. I I don't know if it's actually evocative um, declension, or, I don't know what, or what it is. Mean. Yeah, it, it's a grammatical case a version of the word "you," right? Okay. Um. So that's that's one of the one of the places that it originates from. So essentially, it's a Gaelic word that was very similar to the word. Or, you and then it's just oh wow yeah that's cool well look at that yeah so mr rumble stops by young mr grace's office to pick up the tickets and the insurance forms and the brochure and everything and young mr grace has a much nicer office uh this time around um it's a lot lighter and airier there's some really (laughs) there's some blonde oak furniture not that heavy heavy walnut um and his secretary has a new name Rather than being called Miss Bakewell, she's called Miss Nicholson. Oh, but she must have gotten married or something. But she's Miss Nicholson. If she got married, she still wouldn't be working. <gasps> oh, right. This is the 70s, right? So, hmm. weird. Um, there's, there's, a, there's some running themes as they're preparing to go to the airport tomorrow that they've got to make sure that they've filled out all of their applications and getting the visa and the passport and getting the shots and the fact jacksy full of vaccine, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the first time that Mr. Granger has, is going abroad. Uh, and so he had to get a passport for it. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true because didn't he fight in – or no, he didn't fight in a war, but wasn't he part – of um, like the the NAFI or whatever the enter the ENSA the Entertaining Corps, um, where he did his Churchill impressions. I think we've learned that maybe the writers for the film were not the same ones. Yeah. For no I mean, continuity. they might have been, but yeah, 
Yeah, oh. this this series is not known for its continuity. Anyway, <laughs> Mrs. Granger filled out the passport application on his behalf, and when it said sex, she put August third, nineteen fifty three. Not a lot of warm passion in the Granger bed, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> she doesn't like me in the kitchen. She says I make, make the, the milk, milk go, go sour. <laughs> this bit I laughed out loud for because that is pretty funny. Right. Uh, not only to think of it, the fact that they haven't had sex in 24 years, but like. They know the she, date. She remembers the date. Well, if you haven't had it in 24 years, you'd probably remember the date, too. Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, the Amir makes another visit, but he only has one wife with him this time. He doesn't have his whole harem. Um, and they do a bit where, you know, they're not allowed so to ridiculous. touch him to take his inside leg. So they send like a balloon up to, to the tape measure. It makes this terrible flatulent noise, which lasts for, you know, probably eight beats too long. And apparently the Emir got his jollies up. I don't know how far up that balloon went. Oh, it went but pretty high because he, he was like, his eyes, eyes were fluttering and he was really enjoying himself. And instead of buying 100 pairs of trousers, he said, I'll have one pair of trousers and 100 balloons, please. 100 balloons, So please. cheap. So funny. Um... We learn that the Amir's measurements are uh, around the waist, he has two cubits, and between the legs, one and a half cubits. Well, he'll never be able to wear shorts, <laughs> which <laughs> I thought was really cheeky for, for Mr. Humphreys, right? Yeah. So a cubit, a cubit is really 18 inches, right? So his waist size, he should be 36 by 27, which sounds really fat and short for those proportions. Right. But... They use some other way to measure cubits because his waist size ends up being like 40-something. And Again. he does not look like a man who has a 40-something waist. Again, I know I'm a stickler for accuracy, but... The the writers did not anticipate Mr. Jeff to exist to... Wagging my finger yes. and my... Yes, how dare uh, you, how dare right? you. Yes. Um... We get um, we get our name of our podcast being said Twice, also. I Twice. know. It's so exciting. And this time it's Miss Brahms who does it, but she only does it twice. One deadpan because she knows she's supposed to say it. And then another time with enthusiasm because she really thinks the hat is um, suitable to Madame. Yeah. I had a rich, I, I was, you know, I wasn't staring intently in the screen and I had to rewind to make sure that it wasn't one of those bits where the hat is covering the customer's face. Yeah. But the, <laughs> the one where she's like, oh, that really does suit you. It's just this cute little powder blue cloche that kind of sits a little bit further back, and you could still see Madam's whole face. Um, but I thought that was um, that was quite interesting. Um, Peacock has to help Mrs. Slocum operate the photograph machine because she needs to give one for her visa. Um, and we get a little bit of Three's Company-style humor where this there's is... an, a misunderstood, overheard communication. Yeah, this is the scene with the, <laughs> the lightning sound effect, by the way. Um, for the flashbulb, yeah. Yeah, I actually really giggled a lot. And it reminded me a lot of... Okay, so I'll set up the scene. So she's trying to take her pat, her visa photo. And of course, you know, they didn't have like photo booths everywhere. It was kind of a big deal to get your photo taken in 1977. So she goes and of course she doesn't know how to do it. And Captain Peacock, of course, does and has to help her. And um, She's smiling, and it's, if you've ever seen a British passport or driver's license or anything, or even European, they look very dour. Like they look yeah, like you're you're not allowed to smile in like any passport picture ever anywhere. And, well, I don't know. I think Americans are always like, Geez, you know, but um, the Brits like everyone looks just like their dog just died. Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. So 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 Mrs. Slocum was you know smiling ears cheek to cheek. And um, Captain Peacock says, oh, no, you can't smile. They don't like it. So she had to look more, you know. And then he said, oh, no, no, that's not quite right. Try it this way. And she tried to, like, look kind of very plain. Oh, no, that's not quite right. And then he said, look disdainful, <laughs> which is the perfect word. And then he Rick, said, um, uh, look like uh, someone Matt just asked for a return. And then she right. gave this scowl. And he's like, perfect. <laughs> perfect. And then, like, some calamity happens, and the, 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 there's four shots, right? And then the, the flash goes, and for some reason, I guess it was a 70s thing to do, they copied the same lightning sound effect from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
Oh. Whenever you see like, there's a light down in my market town place. And they'll have like, it's the same like really cheesy sound effect as the flash bulb going off. I don't know why they did that. but It was probably the only one you could get from like fully recording studios. Oh, uh, yeah. Know? Yeah. But um, I like the, the four photos of her like being startled. Being startled. It was just like three's over. company, silly. Yeah. Right. Cute. Yeah, because she he uh, Captain Peacock says I don't think you should wear those earrings, and then Harmon walks by, and so Mrs. Lookum says I've taken them off now. Put it in, <laughs> referring to the ten p- ten penny uh, pence piece, yeah. but it sounds like whatever. <laughs> and then Captain Peacock goes, Well, don't be surprised if you have to wait a minute or two before anything happens. <laughs> Captain Peacock. So very very. And then Mister Mister Armin's like, I'll come back later. I'll, I'll call back later, right? <laughs> Um, Mr. Harmon's looking at the hotel brochure and some of the models are apparently very buxom because he says, cool, blimey, look at their Bristols. Bristol City Bristol? Titty. Bristol oh, City rhymes with Titty. Cockney rhyming go. slang. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they finally make it to the airport and Mr. Humphreys makes a friend at the security screening. He says, you know. He often does. Your equipment is working well. And the security guy goes, well, so is yours. Um, Love his outfit. Was, we have to say about his outfit. Beautiful pink. I yes. would say almost like a salmon, if I would be so bold. And he's got like a little scarf, a little hanker, neckerchief thing. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. It's 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 refreshing to see them all, in, well, most of them in their casual wear, because obviously Rumbold and Peacock and Granger are not going to be casual at all. Right? No. Um it was a little odd seeing people in an airport just because we've been in quarantine for uh, eight months now. Yeah. Um, but also seeing what the airport experience was like in 1977 where, um, you know, you there's a very cursory look of your bags. Mm-hmm. You go through a very simple metal detector. You aren't going through like the thing where they're x-raying you and looking at your private parts on the screen. and Yeah. It was just really taking their shoes off and all of that kind of thing. But, you know, I was thinking that they uh, – I, I don't know if um, – I heard about the movie that people said online, you know, I'm surprised they had that much security. You know, I don't remember it being that bad in 1977. But if you think about – I was thinking about the IRA, the uh, Irish yep. Nash, uh, Republican, Republican Army, whatever. Army. You know, and all the bombings in Belfast and London and, and things. So, you know, maybe they had a little bit higher security because of that. But, you know, they didn't really have the technology of an x-ray machine and that would have been used in that in that case anyway. But right. it was a little weird to see. I mean, Christ, to see a movie from 1995 looks foreign these days. That's you know, true. So much have changed. That is very true. Hmm. Yep. So, um... They finally arrive at the hotel, and um, Mr. Humphreys, uh, they're all accosted by a street vendor as they're trying to get to the hotel. And Mr. Humphreys is the last one in. He can't say no and, and ends up buying two necklaces, but he refuses to buy any more. And the street vendor puts a curse on him. <gasps> so I thought we were going to get a Brady Bunch tiki the Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii style curse. I thought it was going to be them. like a Beatles help. Oh my God, Ringo has a curse with the rings or something. But no, right. I thought the same thing. No, there's a throwaway line that didn't really go anywhere. I also want to just point out how cute Mr. Granger was <laughs> on the with airplane. plastic shopping bag, first of all, as his luggage. And he, he just, yeah, exactly. And I love that, like, you see as this camera's at the end of the aisle... It's a really cool shot because you get to see what a 1977 airplane looked like. And, of course, it's not a huge one, but it was kind of cool to see the different colors and things. But you see uh, Mrs. Slocum and Captain Peacock and all the people walking past towards the camera. Really cool angle. And then at the very back, you see everyone wearing, like, their colorful outfits and Mrs. Slocum and wearing her purple hair and, and all of the different colors. And, of course, uh, Miss Brahms looks like a film star. And then there's Mr. Granger. And he's wearing like a black trench coat that he's probably had. It just looks like the quintessential old British dude. That says, and he's like, I've never been away. And he had to get a passport. And it was really cute that he said, do you take my ticket? Where do you get their ticket punched? Where do you punch um, your ticket? The, right. like it's it's like, he's like, he's, 
he's only ever ridden the train. And it's so charming to think that like, well, if you're 70, whatever, in 1977, and you're never, you've never ridden, you've never been to an airport before, you would think it would be a, like a train, you know, and he, did, he didn't know if they took off yet. It was really cute. Reminded me a little bit of uh, Airplane the movie, which I think came out in 78. Um, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, but I just love the fact that he all, wore all black and um, little little Britain, little piece of Britain right there. Really cute. We've talked about Airplane the movie on the podcast before. I feel Probably. like we talked about... I feel like we talked about the scene where Barbara Billingsley, oh, miss, I speak jive. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It all comes back around. So when they're checking into the hotel, uh, Carlos is the manager and misunderstands what they mean by Grace Brothers. He's expecting two brothers with the last name of Grace, not that they're <laughs> employees of the store. And he yeah. thinks that Mrs. Slocum is a drag queen with false booby doos. <laughs> booby doos. I know. It was like, oh, I understand. And, and oh, these two women, are, these two ladies are with Grace, are Grace Brothers too. Oh. Oh, you are the female impersonators. I am hearing about this. <laughs> I am hearing about this. With yeah. the false booby doos, right? So and they she fa- does not like that. Right. So, um... There is a mix-up with their reservation because he was only expecting two people, not seven. Uh, so they've got to find alternate accommodations until seven rooms are available tomorrow. So he's going to put them up in penthouses for the night. And so <laughs> they're they're happy with that. Um, meanwhile, Mr. Harmon comes in. He made a separate reservation using a fake name and paying a VIP fee. P, VIP fee and he gets treated like... Like the Earl of Harmon, right? He gets a private room. He gets a good <laughs> breakfast, da 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 right? Yeah. Love it. Um, so as Conchita is taking the staff off to their pentihouses, uh, Cesar the villain comes in and lets Carlos know that the uprising will start tomorrow. It's, I don't think it's ever explicitly said that this is supposed to be Spain. Um, but yeah. in, the, uh, in the TV show episode... Um, Costa Planca is in Spain, right? Because they, they, the three places they can go are uh, Tunisia or Portugal or Spain. Okay. And this is, and this is, uh, this is based on the Costa Blanca in the south of Spain, Costa Planca, right? Which is a real place, and Costa Which Planca does not exist. It yet. does not exist, right? <laughs> um, and so you're putting that in context. Franco, uh, not Czar. What's the word? The dictator who led Spain. Uh, he only died in 1975, um, and it was his death that paved the way for d- the democratization of Spain, uh, which wouldn't happen until the new constitution came about in December 1978. So Spain wasn't Spain wasn't a lot of turmoil at at, the, at this time. So it's perfectly legitimate to think that there would be an uprising in Spain, kind of like what we're seeing today in Peru or in Washington D.C. So um, I, I knew a little bit of Spanish history and not as much, but I know like Picasso painted uh, Guernica and like it was all about the war and civil war and stuff. So there was, so just to catch people up, uh, Franco was the dictator of Spain. He was there several decades, I'm assuming. Yep. Um, and it was like a military government, would you say? It, it, it was a Marxist regime, right? It, it wasn't... Um... You know, it wasn't like the free-loving communist uh, government like you had in South Vietnam or something like that. And it wasn't particularly <laughs> socialist. It was it was very, you know, um, they had very tight controls. There were, you were not allowed to speak any of your regional languages other than Spanish. You couldn't speak okay. Catalonian. You Catalan couldn't, or whatever. Catalan. Yeah. You couldn't speak Basque. Um, you know, there were very strict restrictions. There, there was public welfare, but it wasn't enough. You know, if you mm. weren't connected, if you didn't know somebody in government or you didn't have money to bribe, you were not going to be very well off. So, um, mm, damn. you know, I actually knew a lot of people growing up that fled Spain uh, and emigrated to the, the U.S. in the early 70s. And hearing their stories when I was a child, you know, it made me think of like, you know, Spain being this like terrible place it was almost like almost as bad as what we were being told about russia Hmm. you know in terms of like what kind of a place it was to live and yeah yeah it's you know it's great that in you know such a short time 
they were able to really turn their country around and really embrace full-on democracy. It's crazy to think that, you know, um, the drama of this movie is, oh no, they're having a revolution and armed people are shooting around. Well, in the States, that's not too uncommon, sadly, because (laughs) of our country. But um, yeah, like it's, I think it's a lot of that context is kind of lost just through time. And I think as an American, we're not really reminded, oh, there was Franco, who was the dictator of Spain and da, 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 da. But, um, you know, it's just crazy to think that that wasn't too unheard of for that to happen in the movie right. at that time. The other thing is, is that we don't, the staff aren't aware of this, right? They're, they're not aware that they're in peril <laughs> until like the last 15 minutes of the movie when we finally get to the conflict. Um, and so, you know, I think the screenwriters could have done a better job about punctuating the conflict or the upcoming conflict a little bit more. Yeah, maybe like in the in the in the on the floor, maybe they could have said, well, I don't know, isn't aren't they supposed to be rather unstable in Spain, Mr. Rumbo? Right. Something, something like that. Right. Um, yeah. You know, they, I think they tried to do it a little bit later when Kuchita um, begs Mr. Humphreys to uh, let her spend the night with him and then eventually wants to move to back to London with him. But we don't get it, We don't hear enough about why. She just know that there's like a bad man following her or like a bad man. No, that's a good lover point. That's in love with her. Right. And I wonder if there would have been pressure to not call it out. They're at probably the time. By, by name. Probably. Yeah. They, 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 I think that they def they didn't, in the film set Costa Blanca in Spain specifically just to maintain good mm. relations with the country and they didn't want to uh you know uh, piss everyone off who's libel. Spanish exactly yeah but, okay um, no, that makes sense yeah um so why don't we head on down to the canteen for a little bit of tea break I think that sounds delicious I would like to have maybe a cup of Café con leche <laughs> so we'll be right back after a quick on nip down to the canteen Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. Well, the dining room at Don Bernardo's is marginally better than the canteen, um, and Conchita is much more friendly than the manageress. But you have to step above all the broken flower pots and the bullet holes, so it does kind of bring <laughs> down the ambiance a bit. Although my café con leche in flan was muy delicioso. Ah, muy rico. That's good. Um, <laughs> I had a little bit of calimocho, which is wine I went to school mixed- with her sister, actually. <laughs> well done. Um, it is wine mixed with Coca-Cola, and it is a favorite drink of 16 to 21-year-olds over there. And that does especially not those, sound delicious. It is not delicious. <laughs> you know, something now that we're back from our canteen slash uh, war-torn uh, alfresco dining area uh, break... Um, I wanted to ask, what do you think about the set? Do you think the set of the film was the one they did on the TV show or was it a new one? Because I kept trying to see angles and they didn't really line up. And I was wondering what you thought about it. Yeah, well, I mean, we mentioned that they didn't film in Spain, right? You know, they filmed in uh, on a soundstage uh, in the home counties. It actually wasn't even that far out in the home counties. It was in uh, a town called Elstree, which is about about a 40 minute drive north of london okay. like it's probably just about as far out as like watford and barnet are um 
So they were they were on a soundstage, and they probably had to recreate the shop floor um, there. Which yeah, is because, a shame because, like, it, you can see the the lift doors and the stairs and the, the – I mean, it did look a little bit different. It looked strange because it looked almost more compressed because it's a different camera lens, of course, than they would for right. the show. But it's kind of crazy. They didn't do a, a wildly different kind of thing. But, you know. Well, I, I, I guess they wanted to have a little bit of continuity because they knew that they'd be going back to the BBC – Mm. Um, at some yeah. point, right? I did love the super funkadelic theme song. There was, yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> uh, you could definitely tell that it was the 70s because the marimba was everywhere. Right? What is a marimba? What's that? Um, it's, it's an instrument that is like a xylophone, but uh, rather than being um, metal, it's made of wood. So it's so the sounds the tones that it gives out aren't quite as tinny like it doesn't sound it sounds a little bit deeper almost like a steel drum okay yeah so it's that noise that you hear constantly through all the (laughs) incidental music right yeah the incidental music i think as i said before it was an attempt to kind of make up for the fact that there was no there's a lot of dead air in the movie if there wasn't instrumental music um which is just a thing, I think, from the 70s. I think in the 80s, they stopped that. You know, like, I can't think of any film with just random music playing. It seems a very dated thing these days. Right. I mean, you'll, these days, you'll get music to score something. Like, to score yeah. a chase scene. Or to, like, show time passing. Or emotion or something. Right. Rather than just, like, you know... Um, Elevator music just to kill like, the mood. The whole the whole bit with the fake teeth in the in the mannequin's pants, right? That wasn't there was no dialogue. It was all punctuated by this marimba influenced marimba synthesizer incidental music. Yeah, that whole scene. This was before they left for Costa Blanca. Yeah. Um, that whole scene made me think, knowing that they went to Blackpool to play to to do an episode essentially on stage live, um, and it was very successful. I can see them doing this whole scene with exaggerated facial features and, and like gestures with no set with no sound on stage. And that whole scene with the stupid little teeth and the underwear, um, no one said anything. It was really cute. It was kind of cool to see the versatility of everybody. I, I totally agree with you. I can totally picture that that was something they, uh, they adapted from the stage mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. probably played really well. On stage with in terms of like the farce of, you know, pulling everybody over one by one. Yeah. But the false teeth would be too small for the stage. They Mm. would have had to do something else. So in order to make it show so the audience can see when the teeth are chattering. And you know something else? Um, I know John Emmons career a little bit and he did a lot of pantomime, which was, you know, like playing Mother Goose and they would do with the Cinderella story and Snow White and all these. And it was very like very big gestures and lots of funny little stupid jokes. And if you Google on YouTube, John Inman, Frank Thornton, Royal Variety Hour. There's a really cool video of them doing the Wizard of Oz, and it's um, Frank Thornton, Mister Captain Peacock, as the Tin Man, and of course John Emmett is the Lion, and they're like oh, bumbling around. He's got to be Dorothy. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I mean the Queen was in attendance, so maybe they had to draw uh, a line somewhere. But uh, it was so cute because they're just like running around stage, and like obviously they're good friends, and this is maybe in the. Maybe the 80s. It was well after the show. But it was just that whole scene reminded me of like, oh, it's very stage. It's very theater. Yeah. So that was cool. The staff are being shown to their penthouses, and they're not penthouses. They're tent houses. So they're these seven tents set up <laughs> just off the dining room with this little wooden outhouse that it, is their facility. It's like, oh, house. my English. So sorry. Tent. How do you say tent? Oh, tent houses, not penthouses. Every time I want uh-huh. to pee, I am making a tea. Well, cancel my elevenses then, right? Um, <laughs> they go in for they go in for the night, and they uh, come dressed for dinner, and they're all dressed formally. Like uh, oh, yes. all of the men are in tuxedos. Mr. Lucas is in a suit. Miss Brahms is wearing an evening gown. Like they're dressed very formally. Um, 
the German tourists, however, are still in their informal beach wear, and they mock the English by singing Rule Britannia, right? <laughs> because these English are very stuffy, they're very formal, they're, you know, coming to dinner very dressed up, while the, the Germans are relaxed, we're on holiday, we're in the Mediterranean. Yeah. And so uh, Granger gives them the V, the two-finger salute, and we start to get the anti-German feeling speech right. uh, that we got from uh, German Week, right? Um, recycled. Recycled, right? Mr. Humphreys comes over after uh, sitting with three gorgeous blondes. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, Captain Peacock and Mr. Lucas are aghast. Uh, and we get the much happier since he's had the operation bit. Again, and recycled, then, yeah. And then one of the blondes pulls out a pipe and starts smoking it, right? Um, the water – the waiters um, – Don Carlos starts pouring wine very slowly. <laughs> um, and just like the fountain that makes everyone want to go, we get this bit uh, um, yeah. recycled again. So, you know, they, they did – they did a great job setting up the biggest recycling of all, where they do rehash the Dear Sexy Knickers bit with the letter, right? Yeah. But they do embellish on this one a little bit because it makes it more complicated, and it sets up the next scene, which prepares for the conflict, right? And there was a, a, a gay bent on it, no pun intended. Well, uh, <laughs> bent. Um <laughs> So Lucas try Mr. Lucas tries to send a note over to Miss Brahms, but Mrs. Slocum gets it instead, thinking that it's from Captain Peacock. Oh dear. So she sends a note back to Captain Peacock, but he gets it thinking it's from Miss Brahms. Right. So he replies to Miss Brahms, but Mr. Humphreys gets it. So there's a lot of crossed wires. What a here, kerfuffle. Right? Um so the next, um, a little bit later, it's not the next day, a little bit later that night as they're preparing for bed, yeah. Mr. Humphreys is making a phone call home, and this is where Conchita begs him to sleep in her in his tent because she's in trouble. Carlos wants his way with her, right? Yeah. Um, and he, like, noncommittally says yes because he's, like, having half a conversation with his mother and half a conversation with Conchita. So she thinks that she's gotten the all clear to stay in his tent that night. Meanwhile, Cesar has to stay in the hotel because his men um, are just about, you know, um, 600 meters away and hiding behind a hill. And he has to be ready because the rest of the troops are coming tomorrow and the uprising is happening tomorrow. So he has to stay the night, and he looks at all of the pictures of all of the guests that are staying in the hotel that night and wants to have his way with Mrs. Slocum because Carlos is, has his eyes set on making a move on Conchita that evening. So we know that you know Mrs. Slocum is also going to be an object of affection in addition to the whole um, farce we have with the uh, Dear Sexy Knickers, right? And it, was, it seems like a very 70s thing, not to pick on the decade, but, you know, at the end of this film, I, I remember thinking, you know, it's just a bunch of sex jokes, kind of like Three's, of the, Three's Company, where half the jokes are about boobies and horniness, and, you know, it's like, okay. But, um, I don't know, that whole thing yeah. is kind of, you know, kind of felt weird. So, yeah, I mean, so the, there's a whole back and forth about who's going into whose tent, and they've got to switch tents because Miss Brahms has a creepy crawly centipede in hers. <laughs> and so there's there's just a lot of back and forth about who's in what tent and who's supposed to go where. The funniest bit of all of this is <laughs> yes. in the letter that Mrs. Slocum got that she thought was from Captain Peacock. It made mention of, of um, staying up all night and watching the moon rise. Mm. And so her opening line when she finally gets Captain Peacock alone is, what time does it come up? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Axelby says it looks much bigger in the tropics. <laughs> oh, God. So we get a great sexual innuendo there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we get the whole back, back and forth. And then finally, Cesar is directed into Mrs. Slocum's tent, but it's Mr. Humphreys in there. He's staying in Mr. Slocum's tent. So she, he's going through all of her, like, creams and perfumes. Of course. Oh, any, anything can happen with body dust. Um, this was, like, some German bubble bath that apparently was familiar in uh, or popular in the late 70s. And so this is where we get um, 
Mr. Freeze dressing up in drag, right? We only, we already saw him wearing his mother's wig in right. the um, Mr. Henry's salon. Uh, but now he puts on uh, Mrs. Slocum's dressing robe and the wig and then the life bell bra the magic, and inflates it. Right? Yeah, the magic inflato bra. Because the, the rumor has gone around the entire camp that Cesar has killed 13 men with his bare hands, unlucky for some. Yes. Uh, and so Mr. Humphrey is really, really afraid. Uh, and so Cesar finally comes in and Mr. Humphreys is trying to pretend not very hard to be a woman. He's just speaking in his normal falsetto, but Cesar, I don't know if he's like Mr. Magoo nearsighted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't make out that it's a man. So Mr. Humphreys finally makes a run for an escape, and then there's a little bit of a Benny Hill moment where we actually <laughs> physically see them running through and in and out of tents, right? Yeah. And so we get the whole Benny Hill style. I, I love how in any scene where Mr. Humphreys is dressing as a woman, there's a very perfectly innocent explanation to it. <laughs> he thought he was going to be killed by a man, so he had to pretend to be a woman so that he would be able to get away. He's really not wearing the wig. It's for his mother. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, so cute. And um, anytime he gets to either be dressed as a woman or Mrs. Slocum is drunk, I'm happy. Yeah. That, you know, I thought that earlier, you know, when Captain Peacock had to give her a flask of brandy to calm her nerves, I thought we were going to get um, drunk a more uh, drunk, dr- Slocum. drunk Slocum. And that yeah. didn't happen. I was really, really disappointed. That missed opportunity, right? It lost a star from for my uh, IMDb rating for that. Rotten Tomatoes. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, Humphreys manages to get away, but Cesar catches the real Mrs. Slocum. And she's enamored. Like, forget about Captain Peacock. She runs off to the beach with Cesar for the night. <laughs> right? And I love and so, how, like, I love how Mrs. Slocum is, like, really turned on by Captain Peacock. And the TV show, not so much. But something about the Mediterranean Something sun. about the Mediterranean. Yeah. Mm. The, the Caribbean. Oh, no, they're not okay. in the Caribbean. Um, yeah. So the, the whole joke about Cesar wanting Mrs. Slocum is that he sees her, 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 her um, passport picture. Which is not her body. Like, she did it at a seaside resort where you stick your face in a cardboard cutout. And it's this huge, buxom, well-put-together, well-proportioned woman. Yeah. And that's what he's basing his crush on. And so, I guess, you know, nighttime at the beach is not going to be well-lit. He doesn't see what the real uh, Mrs. Slocum is. I guess she doesn't give him her vital statistics. Vital statistics. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, they apparently had a very nice night and we'll find out exactly why. Um, the next morning, there's a parade of nuns walking through the hotel for some reason, ringing the bell. And Mr. Humphreys is with them in the end in full habit. Um, he had to take sanctuary <laughs> in a nunnery um, because he was running away from Cesar, and he'd still be there if his needlework were any better. So, <laughs> right? so stupid. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so as they're waiting for their breakfast, Cesar and some of his men storm the hotel for the uprising, but the rest of his camp hasn't crossed the border yet. So it's basically him and, like, three other guys that are, like, shooting up this hotel, not shooting at the government, just shooting up the hotel and shooting... The um, the the guests, right? Right. So Carlos starts to evacuate the hotel, and most of the guests get at, get out. But the Grace Brothers staff have no clue. They think it's a a fireworks show or some kind of national uh, celebration or someone shooting um, pigeons or, or or clay discs for sport, right? On the beach. <laughs> On the beach, right? Yeah. But then they hear the government jet fighters flying overhead, and they realize oh, this is a problem, right? So they they, they make shift, like, hide under the tables and try and set it up. So they tr- got to try and figure out how to get a message to the government that's flying overhead that they are British, right? They're not part of the insurrection. And so they want to wa- wave a British flag to signal themselves as British, but Mrs. Slocum's uh, directoire knickers that have the Union Jack pattern on, the, on them, they're at the laundry, or so she, she says, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Granger is caught up in the excitement of all of this. And he says, this is the kind of thing that made Britain great. Stupid, but great. <laughs> <laughs> so a very wise, uh, wise line from our philosopher friend, Mr. Granger, right? 
And one of um, his last lines, actually, which is one of his sad. last lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they finally decide to uh, take down the hot air balloon that is advertised in the hotel, so they could um, uh, send up a message with it. How lucky for them that that was there, you know? <laughs> right, just Why happens not? to be there. Yeah. Um, and so, meanwhile, Carlos and Conchita are begging Cesar to surrender, and he doesn't want to. They manage to get him in uh, to trap Cesar in the outhouse and bolt it from the outside while they send the hot air balloon up with their message. But the hook captures um, the roof off of the um, the roof with the of the um, outhouse mm-hmm. and lifts Cesar away with it. Right. And so he's scared because he, he's first of all, he's flying through the air in this unstable wooden shack. Of it's an very Wizard of Oz. It is. And he realized he's going to get caught. So he sticks his arm out of the roof, waving her knickers <gasps> to surrender. How did he get those? From their night on the beach. From the Ooh, little, you know. this is Slocum. Right. Meanwhile, the, the staff are still trapped there and the government is still shooting because they don't know. They know they have Cesar, but they don't know where everyone else is. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a tank bursts through the wall. And it's young Mr. Grace and Miss Nicholson. Of course. They've come to save the day. With a tank. And he says, well, you know, it's very hard to find a taxi here. <laughs> so that's like... So he commandeered a tank from the <laughs> airport. Right? Um, and as and we that, often say, that's almost the end of the episode because Mr. Grace is it. there. That's it. Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Grace. End credits. It's We're done. the craziest thing. So, okay. First blush, this film was made. We are not to say it should or shouldn't have. It was made, right? Uh, but you just you just heard Mr. Jeff say that um, you get to see, well, not see, but see the results of Mrs. Slocum and a, a Spanish Revolutionary Guard agent have a bit of a tryst on the sand in, on, on the beach. Like, that. where else, what other episode can you get that? That's what well, I say. Well, you know, any time that she talks about her and Mrs. Axelby um, going out to the Pali de Dance or something or to mm-hmm. the local pub, every once in a while she'll pull, right? Because she'll fall, she'll go home with a man in the cab. She's the one who makes the decision to leave him behind or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then we also get, you know, Mr. Metaxas, her fiancé. True, but I don't know. I mean, you, it, I, I, I'm glad I saw the episode, the episode, the, the movie. I think the movie, it goes a little bit slow. I think it's also, you think about it's 19. very slow. I wouldn't say very, very but 77 slow. people had a lot, a hell of a lot more attention span than we do today. Squirrel. Oh, look at that. Oh, look the at that movie one. is 90 minutes long and we don't get to the conflict until like 75 minutes in. What did they say? I was looking at um, the reviews of the movie. Which ones? The ones from the super fans or the real ones? Um, the real ones. So um, there's one from like 1977, but there's another one from, um, is it Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, it says, this film is guilty of violating almost every law of comedy and film. It's generally, it's widely considered to be lacking in originality, plot, and focus. <laughs> Accurate. But... You see, yeah, I think we agree with that. But I think there's, you know, you get to see all the characters in the moment. It's 1977. They're not doing Are You Being Served Again, which is something we'll get to eventually. But it's not the same thing as the original show. This is very close to the original show. Um, it's, it's a, I mean, how, how often do people who didn't watch it originally, how many times have you seen a movie from 1977? But really, unless you're a big movie buff, you know it's kind of cool to see how movies are different back then. But you know, seven ninety nine on Amazon, go watch it. I th- I think you should watch it. I don't think you should have extremely high hopes, and I think you right. can just enjoy it for what it is. That's what yeah. I say. So, what are we going to talk about next week, Mister Brandon? Well, next week we're going to start season six with episode by appointment. And I don't know why I'm talking like that. Um, <laughs> because sadly, Mr. Granger, Arthur Bro, um, passed away, uh, we had to get a new senior salesperson in the, in the store. So we meet Mr. Tebbs, who always reminds me of um, 
President Theodore Roosevelt for some reason. Yes, he does. And um, and this is exciting because if you've been watching The Crown like you all should, um, you get to see an episode where the Queen herself almost visits Mr. Gra- uh, Mr. Grace and uh, Grace Brothers in the shop, but she doesn't for some reason, and we'll, we'll explain that next week. We'll find out why. Yeah. So this is a good movie, and thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah, we'd love to hear what you think about the movie um, or what do you think about Mr. Tebbs and the rotating door of senior gentleman assistants that we're about to get for the next five years. <laughs> um, so if you want to talk to us like all of our super fans do, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or on Twitter, or you can write us an email at that does suit madam with an E with an at e. gmail.com. Or you can call the Peacock Hotline X662 Peacock. That's 662-732-2625. And thank you, Unanimous. You've, You've all, all done, done very well. Bye. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Rated PG for mild sex references and moderate innuendo.